Hello and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Omar Mohammed, an Iraqi historian from the city of Mosul, known to many as Mosul I, the name he blogged under when living under ISIS. Omar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Emma. Omar, you were born and bred in Mosul, a city in the north of Iraq. Tell us about the city. What was it famous for? Who were its inhabitants? Um, it's good that I just finished my article about Mosul in the 16th century, which gives a good view of how Mosul lived. And whenever I get this question, what's famous of, I say the unique Co- uh, the unique unique coexistence, mm, a city with almost a unique groups of religions, ethnicities, you would find in the same village, Jewish community, Christian, Yazidis, Muslims, all together living in the same place. Uh, this what made what made Mosul strong, and this what made Mosul as well um, a city that can produce. Uh, culture, a city that can produce uh, a peaceful political discourse, uh, and a city that can, and we see this now, it goes back to life easily. It has this kind of resistance, resilience. Uh, They can, um, as a traveler said in the 7th century, he said, Mosul is a strong and ancient city have prepared itself for the disasters. Um, This is Mosul. Uh, The same happened in 1743 when Nadir Shah, the Safavid uh, leader, uh, wanted to occupy Mosul. You would see Christian, Yazidis, Jewish, Muslims came all together to defend the city. And the uh, uh, the place where they defended the city, where they had the wall of Mosul, it was the church. They all together worked to defend their city because they believed in their collective identity. So it's got a strong identity of they, being yeah. Muslawi, a cosmopolitan, also a trading city. Yeah. Who did people trade with? Um, after after Mosul became under the Ottoman rule, uh, People started at first level, started like uh, local and domestic markets. So people who produce agriculture in the outskirts of the city would bring their products to the uh, heart of the city. And then this city, which is old Mosul, would prepare all these goods and productions for international trade. Mosul used to have uh, uh, economical and financial uh, uh, relations with Britain with Italy, with France, with India. You would find um, merchants from Mosul would have offices in in Mumbai, in London, in Paris, in uh, Rome. And all of them were a mix of Jewish, Christian, Yazidis. I always repeat this. Uh, The governor of Mosul in the 18th century, his assistant, financial assistant, was Jewish, working on his behalf in Istanbul. It's amazing, isn't it? It is. So when you think of this city, 
with this great history, the great human capital, intellectual capital that was there. And yet this was the city that in 2014 was taken over by ISIS, Daesh, the Islamic State. And in 2014, you were living in Mosul, you were teaching history at Mosul University. How did your life change? I would say everything has changed for my life and the people of Mosul as well. Uh, when ISIS came to Mosul, we were still have some hope that the city would continue and the city would develop itself, would modernize itself. We were trying to stick to, to each other. Uh, the Christian at that time, after they were deported in 2007, after many attacks by Al-Qaeda, they started to return back to the city. So we felt that there is something good is happening in the city. But when ISIS came, they kind of destroyed all uh, the hope we were sticking to. Uh, the first thing they did is they changed the social uh, classes. So instead of having elites, intellectuals, uh, workers, etc., we started having the same uh, uh, early Islamic uh, terms, the muhajirun or the uh, foreign fighters, Ansar or the supporters, the locals, and vice versa, you, you would have uh, the commoners. Myself and my family were from the commoners, or as they call them, Am. We were always suspected. We were always just numbers for the caliph to rule us. Uh, they demolished... Uh, to ground the uh, ancient history of Mosul, actually all, all the different uh, uh, historical layers of the city, whether it's Islamic, Jewish, uh, uh, ancient history, they targeted this systematically. They did something horrible, what they did to the Yazidis, which is unforgettable. We will never forget what happened to the Yazidis. They enslaved women. In, 2000, in 2014, uh, 15, they enslaved women. Uh, they deported the Christian. They killed the Sunnis. They, uh, they left no one. Do you know anybody who was in ISIS? Yeah, many actually. I mean, but the most shocking and striking was one of them was my student. He was a brilliant student. He always wanted to be a professor, but I don't know what happened to him. He joined ISIS. The other one was <laughs> the other one was my professor at the University of Mosul. She joined she joined ISIS, and she became responsible for. So she was a historian. She was she, she was a historian. She was teaching me the Ottoman history. I I still I still don't understand why she had she had this conser conservative thoughts of islam and how uh, the caliphate should return back she believed in this but there were others also believing in caliphate so who were they who supported isis you said your student did he was he different from the other students what led him to support ISIS? he was he was different yes i mean i i then i then started to understand why he would join them he was different because he had this family history of Islamism. He comes from a family that believed in Salafism since the uh, 17th century or, or since the rise and the emergence of, of the Wahhabism. 
they welcomed Wahhabism in Mosul. They had this, this very long history. Many of their families uh, and family members were uh, called as muftis. Uh, so they had they had this connection. But this is one person. While there were many others, like hundreds, who joined ISIS, uh, they had different reasons. I cannot justify the reasons that they joined ISIS. So some were religious, some were social misfits. Yeah, I would, I would give, I would give the religious reasons uh, like t- ten to fifteen percent, but the others were joining ISIS for other different reasons. Uh, people were angry at the government. Uh, so the government in Baghdad. Yeah, people were 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 like super angry at the government. The the sectarian uh, sectarianism uh, discourse that the government used have created all this tension between uh, the local uh, uh, population and the central government. People were tired. The army was uh, uh, not professional. The army was part of the problem because they were. I mean, the security forces, they were insulting the people. I remember in 2011, I just returned back from American University of Cairo. I was so happy. Someone who from Mosul who went to the American University of Cairo, I was uh, like having new clothes. I thought myself I, I was still in Egypt. In the street, there was a checkpoint. Uh, my mom called me. She said, I want to check on you because I heard there was a bomb in the street after you left. In, in all of a sudden they kicked me out of the car, the police, and they started hitting me. For no reason at all? Yeah, why did you use your phone in the checkpoint? So you think you've got a population in Mosul that felt alienated because of how the government behaved and because of how the security forces behaved. And you think that's what created yeah, I mean, alienation the, which led to people supporting Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the people of Mosul would welcome anyone to come just to just to finish this situation of the sectarianism of how the government is treating them because they said this in the very beginning of ISIS they said this is not our battle uh, we didn't welcome ISIS but we do welcome this empty government city free government city we are tired of this government uh, they didn't know what ISIS was I mean, not completely, but they didn't know what ISIS exactly was. They thought it would remain just for a few weeks, just like other groups uh, came in the past few years. But it was different. And when they realized that it was different, it was too late. And did opposition to ISIS grow? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, I I don't want to say that I, I represent this, but I myself was uh, uh, on the top of this opposition when I created Mosul Eye. And this Mosul Eye became as a platform to the citizens to believe that there is hope, even when it was too late for them, but they believed that there was hope to do something before it's really too late. Uh, the problem wasn't just ISIS, to be honest. The problem is how the, the perception of the Iraqi population to what happened to Mosul and how they perceived the, the, the population of Mosul, um, everything became, it's because of the Sunnis, because the Christians were deported, uh, the Yazidis were enslaved and massacred. Uh, they thought that Sunnis lived peacefully in Mosul, which is completely wrong. 
more than 6,000 Sunni persons were executed by ISIS in, in, in less than uh, one year. So the battle was on two fronts, and this was what was Mosul is doing. I was fighting against ISIS, telling the people of Mosul, do not obey to ISIS. Keep fighting against ISIS, even if even inside your uh, home. On the other side, telling the people of Iraq, do not generalize. The people of Mosul have no options. They have no choice. What happened to them could happen to any one of you. So stand with them against ISIS. So it was so difficult fighting on two fronts. One is against a brutal enemy, and the other is against, uh, not against, but with your fellow citizens. But it was hugely brave what you did. I mean, I was somebody who'd been following your blog. I wondered what was it like living under Mosul, sorry, living under ISIS in Mosul. And your blog was the only source of information. And to see somebody who was recording, who was horrified by what was happening, gave hope that, you know, that there has to be an end to this incredibly brutal regime. I mean, people who were trying to live back as people lived in the 7th, 8th century. I mean, Emma, you, you, you lived and worked in Iraq, and you know the main problem in Iraq is history and the narrative, who is controlling the narrative. And that that's was the, the, probably the only reason why I decided to do Mosul and to take this risk. It was uh, uh, like a high risk that would lead to my death and my family's death. But I took the risk, I took the responsibility because I would never forgive myself if this history will not be written. Because history is about the future, about who is controlling the narrative. If I, I, I compare it always like in the current moment, if there was no, let's say, let's, let's not refer to Omar as Musulai, let's refer to Musulai as a narrative, a historical narrative. If this historical narrative didn't exist, imagine what the situation of Mosul would be now. Everyone would blame the people of Mosul and this would lead to more tension so the people of Mosul will be, will feel themselves as like victimized and they would go for more terrorism or whatever it is. If we didn't, if, if there was no historical narrative like this, uh, will be forgotten in, in, in the history. Uh, the people of Iraq will be more divided. The political discourse will be more sectarian. So I am happy with this result. I knew the price from the very beginning, and I accepted it. Uh, and I would do it again and again and again, no matter what the price is. I mean, Mosul has been devastated, yeah. devastated by ISIS, by the liberation of ISIS as well, by the bombings and what was done to defeat ISIS in Mosul. It's a devastated city. Yet you remain deeply connected to Mosul. Do you believe that life can return, that Mosul can rise again and become a great city again? Yes, of course, absolutely. It's possible and it's happening now. Life is returning to Mosul. Uh, probably you are aware of my, my project to uh, revive the library. It was beautifully connected to the rest of the world through books. People started sending their books. And when those books were uh, uh, sent to Mosul, people inside Mosul starting, started creating more initiatives. You would see now the music. You would see uh, cultural uh, 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 
centers, you would see uh, artists for the first time speaking publicly. They are spreading their art. Uh, you would see also female singers. This would never happen before 2014. I would never, I always wanted to see a female singer from Mosul. How would she sing in Mosul? This is happening now. The damage is huge, that's true. The destruction is beyond imagination, but the people are there. The people of Mosul are still there. The people still believe that they can revive the city. And it, believe me, it's happening. You see in the media saying like, Mosul is completely destroyed. Of course, this happened in Berlin. This happened in many uh, other uh, uh, countries in the Second World War. No, Nobody believed that uh, uh, Germany would return back to life this way. But the same is happening in Mosul now. Because what's important is the people. If you don't have the people on your side, uh, even if you have like a well, a very developed city, nobody will be in there interested in it. It will be empty of anything. But there's also the legacy of ISIS. You've got the ISIS orphans. You've got the ISIS families. How to deal with them? Yeah, this seems one of the like impossible problems because it would create more problems in the future. For example, the current governor of Mosul have promoted an idea that every family had a member with ISIS should be deported. And those families, we are talking about thousands of people. But deported to where? They are living in camps, isolated camps, uh, detained there. The way they are being treated is horrible. Uh, they are under the control of the militia. The Iraqi government doesn't seem to have um, a legal plan to deal with them. That's why myself and my colleagues in Mosul and others around the world, we are trying to uh, send an appeal to, to make an international uh, court to bring ISIS to justice. And whoever joined ISIS should be uh, uh, prosecuted based on the crimes he or she committed. It, we ca what's happening in Iraq is that ISIS is being politicalized. So it doesn't matter if someone joined ISIS just as a server man, he would be prosecuted as the same as the, the caliph himself. This is this is going to create more problems. We have to bring justice to Yazidis first. We have to convince them that they can return to their life. But at the same time, we shouldn't take this so far when we prosecute children and women. So it takes it takes time, it takes work, it takes courage, uh, but it also takes um, kind of international will to deal with this. Because we are talking when we talk about ISIS, they are not just locals. We have thousands of foreigners, and uh, recently some uh, countries like France and Britain, uh, other countries, they refuse to take back their uh, citizens. Uh, this is going to create another problem in Iraq. Uh, in my opinion, the solution is to have an international court. This way we can bring justice. Because if we don't bring back justice, we will not be able to continue our life. So what's your dream? My dream is quite simple is to build an opera house in Mosul, 
And I hope, I really hope that Etzak Perelman will remain alive when I build this opera house to invite him to play his Jewish town in Mosul. Omar, thank you very much. Thank you, Emma. <laughs>